Hey, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the E-Commerce Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Scott DeGrossier, founder and CEO of Wicked Reports. Today, I have with me Justin Christensen, the self-proclaimed numbers junkie and a digital marketing veteran, and also someone that Wicked Reports personally sought out for some conversion rate optimization advice. So that made me realize he would be great to talk to you on the pod as well. Father, husband, number one best-selling author of the book, Conversion Fanatic, How to Double Your Customer Sales and Profits with A-B Testing. He is also the co-founder and president of Conversion Fanatics, a full-service conversion rate optimization company. They've helped hundreds of companies like Burt Bees, Snow, NBC Sports, Dr. Axe, and many others improve their results. How are you doing, Justin? How'd that go? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. You make me sound like I've accomplished something. I know. Kind of, kind of a big deal. I always like to know uh, how people develop their expertise. Like, so conversion rate optimization, you know, that was a passion that I had back, uh, you know, seven, eight years ago. Uh, and mm-hmm. I got sidetracked with marketing attribution. Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, how, how did you first get into it? What led you into it? And how did you like get good at it? Yeah. Well, I kind of got started through affiliate marketing and information publishing and marketing from that standpoint. So you're very direct response heavy, Dan Kennedy-esque uh, type stuff. And I was always fascinated by what made people buy <laughs> um, and what, you know, the the marketing psychology behind it. And really just got into split testing before there was even split testing software to do it. So I grew that, helped grow that company. We grew at like 400 and some odd percent uh, one year. Sold it back to my business partners. Got asked about a lot about kind of implementation and optimization and how to do it and the, the methods. And I just started a private consultancy and then partnered up with my longtime friend who had a small team. And we created what's now Conversion Fanatics. And fast forward about eight years, uh, here we are, you know, hundreds of companies later. But yeah, I've just always been fascinated by the the buying psychology of what makes people tick. You mean, what do you mean I can change one word and it can have a dramatic impact on an outcome um, all the way up to, you know, full page redesigns and stuff. It's just, I, I kind of, everybody preaches traffic, just getting more eyeballs. And I was always more fascinated with the other side of it. And that's, you know, getting the people to take the desired action that you want them to take. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's using data to solve the puzzle, kind of. Yeah. You know, that that's my big reason. I that's what I love to do, you know, like gamble on things because I like to produce if I have a data-driven theory, I like to test it. That was what got me into, you know, what I'm doing now was more I was just curious about using data. Did did you so when you started seven years ago, what type of data did you have? Uh in terms of conversion fanatics? Yeah. I mean, we had, it was still pretty much wild west. I mean, obviously we didn't have things like what you have and, you know, we had basic dashboards and Google analytics and basic testing tools. And even when we started, you know, seven or eight years ago, CRO as a, as a solution wasn't kind of well known. I mean, it was, you know, people really didn't understand it or know they needed it. And it was a very, very uphill uh, battle when we first started the company. But, you know, we actually started out teaching it like, hey, you need to watch your data. You need to just look at these basic things and you need to test. And nobody wanted to learn it. They just wanted us to do it for them. 
so yeah, we we didn't have all the fancy tools. We didn't have all of the kind of overall. I mean, we had some testing tools, obviously, like Optimizely and BWO were a thing. And you know, Google Optimize was, I guess it was called, I don't even know, Google Experiments at the time. Uh, so we used a lot of that. But yeah, it was we didn't overcomplicate it and we still don't <laughs> really overcomplicate <laughs> it. I, I kind of been jaded in my old marketing age, you know, having done this, you know, over 20 years. It's I, I kind of try to keep it simple with the over automation aspect of it. So with with the limited tools, but then like uh you know, what type of data point what was the lift you we, we, right from the beginning? Was it just like someone saying, Hey, so if they weren't necessarily seeking CRO, are they just like help my marketing or yeah. hey, I really need help with this page converting more? What was like the the pain that led them, you know, back in the day? And how has that like changed over time as the market you know, matured? Yeah. So it was always like everybody just wants a slam dunk home run. They just, you know, and I, that's still the case. I think a little bit today is everybody thinks they need to, they're going to magically go from 1% to 10% and they're, there's some magic button that you need to push that that's going to make that go. So it's always been about conversion rate uh, in and of itself as the the sole metric, but it's how it's evolved is more towards brand equity and a lot more experience aspect of it rather than I changed the button color and it raised my conversion rate. But as you know, seeing as much data as you see, there's a lot more inputs and outputs than than there was before. It's not just a simple landing page and I have an opt-in form and it's it's X, Y, and Z outcome. It's, you know, we have omnichannel approach with very difficult things to track that it's getting worse and worse. And, you know, you have the word of mouth aspect, you have the how is the brand perceived, what's the experience of that brand. And that's what's made our job a little bit harder, but also a lot more rewarding is we can look at that bigger overall marketing picture and work on creating a better experience for those visitors on page and answering those questions. And if we do that, everything becomes more effective. You know, cost per acquisition can go down. You know, we've seen customer support complaints go down because we were able to answer a question on a product page on on an e-commerce store and then you know, just everything that not necessarily goes into a spreadsheet or, you know, into a dashboard or something is in play. It's it's not just as black and white as, as conversion rate where it once was, you know, a lot easier. And, you know, when things were simple, you know, back when Google AdWords was a simple thing and even the early days of Facebook ads, it was, you know, much easier back then to get the direct attribution and say, okay, yeah, well, this had this lasting impact, but now it's there's so many different variables. And particularly as people are looking to scale their brands, conversion rate's not going to scale infinitely with, you know, more and more traffic when they're increasing traffic flows, you know, double digits, sometimes triple digits. So it's important to, to notice that we're trying to keep and mitigate the downside of conversion rate um, drops as you scale traffic and then help, you know, create those new benchmarks and, and levels as they grow and scale. And then looking at you know, average order value, you know, revenue per visitor, lifetime value, you know, even micro commitments like add to cart rate, abandoned checkout, you know, views on checkout. Um, and the list kind of goes on and on. We can pick all sorts of acronyms to talk about. <laughs> so what is it that, you know, conversion rate optimization, what is it people don't understand about the practice? Biggest like misconception, if you would. Um, It's less about the conversion rate. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
than it is about really anything else. I mean, so I, I think it kind of piggyback on what I was just talking about is they think that it infinitely goes up, but conversion rates an arbitrary number and it fluctuates. It's going to go up or down. It's going to, you know, move and change as your traffic changes. You know, you, Facebook can come out with something else next week and all, all of a sudden the, the traffic isn't the same and it's fluctuating dramatically or times a year, you know, we're getting into the time of recording this, we're getting into the kind of the Super Bowl prime time of Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Q4 promotions when conversion rates are artificially inflated and the buying decisions are completely nuts. You know, I mean, it's completely irrational buying behavior. So we have to take those ebbs and flows as we, we look at the overall optimization and bigger picture. So I tend to look at a longer term look at it. And I think so many people look at it on a short term basis. They're in Shopify, they're looking at their stats every day saying, well, my conversion rate's up this much or it's down this much or my average order value's up. And they're not looking at it from a bigger overall sample size perspective. Um, I use the example, I had a client that as we were scaling their business, we took them from about just under a, a, per, a point or just under 1% conversion rate to just about 4% and scaled them from about 250,000 a month to over two and a half million in about 16 months um, a month. And every Monday about 9 a.m. he would message me and say, my conversion rate's in the tank. I don't know what, <laughs> know what we're doing. He, like literally like clockwork every Monday morning at 9 a.m. And he would tell me that and I'd be like, you do realize you say that every single Monday. And I would <laughs> next Monday would roll around and be the same thing. But it was just Monday traffic for them was terrible. And it was always a slow start to the week um, coming off a historically solid weekends. Um, so it's, it's looking at that bigger overall sample size and what people, the misconception about, I would say optimization is it's not split testing and optimization aren't the same thing. Um, is probably one thing that people don't necessarily understand. Yeah. Split, split testing is the vehicle at which we use to prove or disprove whether we're right or not um, on our assumptions. So optimization is the bigger overall, taking the qualitative and quantitative data and asking the right questions and, and building that bigger overall use case instead of just spraying out a bunch of split tests and hoping we get something to stick. Um, you're going to, if you're optimizing, you're going to win more because you're listening to the data, you're listening to the customers, you're, you're looking for trends and you're trying to build upon those results versus, oh, I'm going to test headlines today, or I'm going to test buttons tomorrow. And then I'm going to move on and, oh, I want to create a new landing page and we're going to test that. Um, you know, they're kind of all over the place and with that becomes lackluster results. And then people get frustrated and end up quitting. Uh, actually split testing and, and actually optimizing because they're just like, oh, that's whatever, that didn't work for me or, mm -hmm. or whatever, but they're not actually deploying anything. And I think that's the biggest thing when people come to us, you know, we just launched a split test for a brand new client and it was just simply redoing their product carousel, you know, making it very simple and clean above the fold and just kind of streamlining it. But the purpose of that test is to see how much impact 
having those additional thumbnails would have also as well as how much impact it would by bringing up that call to action section and then he comes back he's like well why are you testing something so simple i wanted to test offer and i wanted to test pricing structure and all of this other stuff it's like you know baby steps you have to walk mm -hmm. before you can run and a lot of companies see that it's like well you know you're just hiding something or you're just adding something or you're just moving something it's like well that's to understand what holds weight in the eyes of those visitors and really just figuring out what do they care about most because like you know us as marketers we don't know and i'm proven wrong all the time so we just need to understand where those those visitors sit and how they interact with that brand and once we know that then it, you know the sky's the limit I mean, if you're married or in a relationship, you're proven wrong on a daily basis already. <laughs> Why wouldn't I extend you a job? <laughs> what? Um, oh, so that's interesting. So the product carousel. So then what's the... So do you... Walk me through some of the process there. So do you baseline... Do you have a theory or hypothesis that you're like... Yeah. So walk me through like the framework that led to that. The carousel is what you're going to test. And then do you just baseline add to carts of those products? Did they go up or down? Then you'll know, okay, that carousel placement and decision is going to be better if we hit x percent more add to carts or what's the what's the metric that drives that so it's, it's really yeah so i mean case. we've just tested so much at this point that we kind of know what buttons to push um and we see so many trends in in data across so many different demographics so you know we've got them pretty much covered every product type b2b b2c we've kind of got it a blanket. So we've got a list of about 70 concepts or ideas or or elements that we can pull from and at least reposition or re-approve. Um, and I, I'm kind of a believer that you can only take the data so far. And then from that point, you're, you're still kind of assuming. So you can say, okay, we're mobile, we're having drop-offs at this particular element. Um, you can only take it so far. So overanalyzing that data won't get you necessarily to your starting point, you just have to start. And I would rather let the experimentation be my guide on what it what it knows. And we just know we've tested carousels a thousand different times. So we just know that that's usually a high leverage type of test and it usually holds some weight. So we'll start there because we know, okay, the product page has issues. We know that 95% of people are dropping off on that particular page without adding a product to cart. We have good engagement on the other pages. So we base it on some data in terms of what analytics is telling us. And then we just got to gotta get going and usually get good coverage of the overall site. So it's kind of a combination of science and guessing <laughs> at the same time, because we've just done so much of it that it allows us to, you know, to not necessarily be stuck in analysis uh, the whole time. And we can just jump in and start testing. So do you have like, so for e-commerce, you, you've got these, or maybe it's not just e-commerce, but are there different, like, do you have like frameworks that you use that you developed or others that you've borrowed from or, mm, or is I it mean, I, I would say borrowed, but I don't use any fancy acronyms, like <laughs> concepts, frameworks. I mean, there's a lot of them out there. Obviously you, you followed like CXL and, and PEP and, and you know there's other ones like the conversion rate expert guys over in the uk that kind of originally coined the term conversion optimization um way back in like 2007 but i again i'm a kind of a creature of habit and kind of a creature of simplicity and i don't want to overcomplicate a complex 
type of process. Mm. So our framework is test as much as we can based on the data, but at the same time, not just spraying and praying and then just letting that data be the guide. Because I mean, so often I think people get stuck in, okay, here's a list of 15 things that we're going to split test. And we just go down the list and split test them instead of, okay, we tested this thing. This is telling us that. Now, what do we need to do? You know, and they instead be like, okay, we're testing headlines. And instead of using that headline to understand the benefits or the behaviors or what the visitors actually care about most in the rest of the marketing message, then they'll move on to calls to action next, or they'll move on to social proof. And then I would rather get a good coverage, like an e-commerce environment, like get a good homepage test, collections, product, cart, checkout test. And just start measuring that. And then we know, okay, they respond really well to social proof or they have unanswered questions like, you know, what's the shipping time or what's this and how can we, or maybe they respond really well to like a split payment option. And how can we position that split payment option in as many places as possible? Or how many different ways can we position social proof or credibility from that standpoint or position the money back guarantee all the way through that checkout process? So we just kind of, that's the, the framework is really just letting the data tell us what's next and then asking the question why a lot. Um, that's my hypothesis is always it. Why? Why are they clicking on it? Why are they not? Why are they falling off on this page? Um, but you can usually, as much as we see, we can usually tell pretty quick, okay, this website's missing these 10 things, or this is super confusing. And it really just comes down to the user experience of, of the website. And I can tell within 10 minutes what's confusing. Um, if you just start at the homepage and go through it and be like, uh, this doesn't make sense to me, or you know, this question isn't answered. And then within those questions, uh, in that journey, there's usually 20 or 30 split tests that we could potentially run. Yeah, because I mean, the, the person owning the site, I'll speak from my experience, you're almost, you're too close to the problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or yeah. You're too set in how you got there and like to re come in fresh, you just don't have the fresh eyes. So you, you're not going to get them because yeah. you're too close. Yeah, we see that a lot. I mean, even companies will come in and do a review of a website before ever working together. Um, very similar to like what we just did with you, but I'll go in and be like, well, right there, like that's, that's the thing you pick the one thing and then they're like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like, I can't, I can't believe I didn't see that. It's like, yeah, well, you're in there every single day. <laughs> you're in the trenches, you're looking at it, you know, you're, and we bring that fresh perspective, but also I bring it from a very unbiased perspective too. It's not my baby that I built and I've nurtured and I've, I've grown over the years. Um, you know, it's very different if we were doing some marketing for conversion fanatics, which I'm the same way. I seek out people that are smarter than me that bring that fresh perspective into, into my eyes. So I, I practice what I preach. Um, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm running my own split tests, but from my paid media side of things, it's the same. You know, I, I want that fresh look. I want that, that outside perspective because then it's just a data set at that point and allows you to grow and scale from there. What does the now? How does the traffic, the quantity, and the quality of the traffic separately impact what you guys are testing? Well, that comes back to trends too. I mean, quantity is is a big thing, but it's more so 
the number of conversions that you're getting or micro commitments or goals or whatever that's going to be. I get the question a lot like, well, how much traffic do I need? Just a thousand clicks or what? You know, and it, it's that's split testing. That's not optimization. We're looking at that bigger overall picture. Like, okay, these visitors are coming somewhere from somewhere, they're going somewhere. And oftentimes, business owners are trying to force the visitors to go someplace they're not necessarily going or want to go. Oftentimes, it's their homepage is underutilized or they don't realize some of those other additional secondary pages because there's so much, I'm driving traffic to this landing page, come hell or high water. And they, they kind of fail to see that overall bigger picture. So the, the, the traffic, obviously more is better, more eyeballs on it, the better, but it has to be qualified traffic, usually some form of paid media or some organic aspect to it, because usually it's higher intent or they've got some baseline metrics that are working. Uh, from that standpoint, but it usually comes down to the number of conversions and the actual, you know, like your inputs might be different than somebody selling obviously a $50 widget on an e-commerce store. So your, your customer values are different and your lead values are different and all of those metrics. So it's got to make sense from an ROI perspective. But if you're only getting one sale a day and you're selling $50 widgets, it's going to take forever to get any kind of results. Um, from a split test. So it, it makes it very difficult. So we take a little bit different approach, more so a qualitative approach, um, just figuring out what questions we're not answering and then using that to kind of inform and cohort our way to where it makes sense to start split testing. And so, I don't know if any of that made sense, but... You no, know, it did. It did. Because um, that's what the first instinct is. Okay, how many clicks do I need to can tell me something amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's sometimes a test takes 30,000. Sometimes it takes, you'll have answers in 10. You know, you just, you don't know. And I, I generally don't look at the traffic. I don't look at that sample size unless it's like a secondary after fact. Like I'm looking at the main, main goals and we're not always just measuring conversion rate. It's conversion rate, revenue per visitor. It's those secondary metrics like add to cart. It's you know, opt-in rates, it's views on checkout. And sometimes we have to use that as our primary metric instead of, you know, furthering them along in that journey of where we want them to go instead of, well, that that didn't work. It didn't raise our conversion rate. Sometimes it doesn't raise conversion rate, but it shoots the revenue per visitor off the charts. And you just have to kind of weigh that when you're looking at the overall trend in the data, the confidence in the data, the, you know, if maybe it drops your add to cart rate 60%, but it raised, raised your conversion rate five, you know, it's, mm. you got to weigh those odds of what metric really means the most to you. And is it truly a winner from that perspective or what can we do to iterate on that data and retest to get it to where it's more balanced out? Because sometimes that's easy. It's just, just iterate. So What's along those lines? What it? What's it? You had one example there. You already gave, but what's another one where, like, a couple initial tests were I don't know unexciting, and then you hit on that, or or and then how did you learn? And then either get to the right test, or and what happened, or you just went through your framework and plucked one out. <laughs> and got well, one. no, I mean sometimes sometimes we have to change the strategy a little bit and be a little bit more aggressive towards instead of like look and feel and flow of a website and get into more like offer structure or 
you know, really leaning into something a little bit harder. But I remember one, probably the worst case scenario that we've ever had is we tested like 11 or 12 tests and they were all pretty much losers off the first. And I mean, I was banging my head against my desk, like what the heck is going on here? And then the, I think the 12th or 13th test, I can't remember the numbers specifically was like a 65% win. And it was like, okay, finally we're getting some traction on this. And then the four or five tests following that were all pretty measurable improvements, but it just took a while to figure out the flow of those, those visitors. And it came down to that, um, that company would lock their website down and they would release like promotions. So they would do, they would kind of use their VIP group and then their, their past customers, they would release it to them. And then they would bring it to the outside world and run the paid media to it. So there was a lot of ups and downs with it and a lot of fluctuation. So we had to figure out really what these visitors were caring about most in separate different buckets. And it was a more unique case than just a standard, you know, kind of new versus returning omni-channel approach that, that a lot of these e-commerce businesses have. So, I mean, yeah, we always just use it to kind of inform, but sometimes we'll have to change the strategy up. Sometimes we'll have to be a little bit more aggressive and test a little bit faster. Sometimes we'll have to slow it down. Um, but every business is really different. But what was same, that, so the what same. Was that one? That one that took the 12 tests, what, what were they selling or what type of, and then what type um, of thing triggered? It was like, clothing. What, um, what was the 12th test that finally said, oh, look, something. <laughs> um, I believe it was talking about the limited nature in their releases. So it was really setting that urgency and scarcity that they truly had. Um, so the other kind of user experience stuff didn't really move the needle. And some of the, you know, here's how much you're saving and here's, you know, those kind of positioning elements wasn't really having the impact. It was until we started looking at, okay, these truly are limited. You're never going to restock these again. It's limited sizes, it's limited colors, it's limited quantities. And how did we position that? And the first couple of times we positioned it, it didn't work. And then we finally figured out the language and the placement on the actual page and the placement in that checkout flow. So that's really what it came down to was that um, they had it kind of on the site and they were using it in their marketing, but it wasn't where it needed to be. But now we're, we're completely, we're humming along right now. See, that's helping to close me because I feel like our positioning, like we throw a lot of different positions out there and... They're all just kind of out there. Yeah. <laughs> and really, it's just like the brand has good recognition and people refer a ton. That's, that's a great way to get business. But like, it'd be great if we could, you know, all our attribution shows everything does so so. We got things that do fair, but never anything yeah. does like amazing. But uh, that's an interesting thing that I think a lot of people find value from that test that you might have the right elements and then the conversion optimization can put the pieces of that puzzle together of, you know. Yeah. And it's usually, I mean, it, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a science, but yet it's, it's still, I mean, it's still a little bit of guessing to, to try to pick, figure it out. And it's asking those right questions. And sometimes it is as simple as just simply asking the visitors, okay, what's, what do you guys want? <laughs> like, what, what are we missing here? And those polls will often reveal something important. And 
And sometimes it's price, sometimes it's you know other aspects, but it's almost never price, even though they say it's price. So you have to figure out what's the underlying aspect. It's like obviously the value add is not positioned correctly, um, you know, or something along those lines, or the credibility or trust isn't there to justify that overall price. So there is some method to the madness, but it's really just following the following the breadcrumbs that the data is giving you and and building upon those results. So to, to get that positioning, do you have like an intake form where you download all this material, you know, reading or otherwise, or like for, like for the social proof, let's say they have a bunch of it, but you're just going to have to try to deduce going through their website that they have it, or you solicit from the marketing team, give me all your, you know, is that one of the questions? Give me all your testimonials and like famous people you worked with or yeah i mean sometimes it's usually going through the actual site and where the visitors are at it's like okay we know most people have them if if they have them they have them you know it's it's somewhere um it's usually showcased in logos or there's testimonials somewhere there's reviews um you know sometimes we'll do a, a simple search and maybe it's shopper approved or it's you know yelp reviews or something whatever you know it could be all sorts of stuff you know, for us, it's, you know, we use clutch because we're B2B um, and we have a lot of clutch reviews or it's G2 or, or whatever from a B2B or SaaS scenario. But I usually try to look at what we have. A lot of companies will have a brand guide in a lot of, ca- in some cases, not a lot of cases. I wish more would have some, <laughs> um, but most don't get that far until they're, they're well into the, you know, 50 plus million. They try to play, then they get a little more serious about how they're their look and feel goes. But, but yeah, a lot of those elements are usually there and we'll just test moving them first or we'll test, you know, just seeing how much weight those actually have. Sometimes it's as simple as hiding it or redesigning it or adding an element or adjusting an element within it. And there's literally a hundred ways you can slice it. What tools and what like team composition makes up a CRO project? Cause I mean, you can't do all of them, I imagine, or, or is that how it works? Like, like to scale the agency, like, do you have, like, what's that composition of tools and people roughly? Luckily, I've got a lot of smart people that work for us and it isn't all me. Um, I, I would never get anything done if it was just <laughs> me. Um, so yeah, we have, we're very developer heavy, but we're also, we got UX designers, graphic design, we've got an- analysts, we've got reporting people, we've got operations. Um, as well as, you know, kind of administrative kind of things, making sure that things get put into lineups in our processes. And then myself, we've got a copywriter, got my business partner. Uh, we've actually got a director of paid media that's still on staff as well. Even though we don't run traffic, we still have him for a lot of copy elements or reviewing traffic campaigns. And our offer, our structure is very rounded in a pod kind of we don't do the whole project manager run operation anymore it's just you have a design question you talk to the designer that's actually doing the design if you have a development question you talk to the developer that's actually developing it and our team we we look at things very collaboratively and collectively and not like, here's the project manager, here's this, we have this conversation and we do this and this and this and this. So we have a lot of people that kind of come together, but they all understand why we're doing something. Not that 
the developer, you know, we could get a developer that makes the website do X, Y, and Z, but they don't understand why we're actually making it do that. And, and what's the reason and the psychology behind that. So it's kind of hard to come and work for us in that regard, <laughs> because we make it like, you have to understand what we're doing, not you know, even our lead developer is like, oh, this is a great test idea. They, you know, our developers come with test ideas all the time because they're in there, they're making the website do things and just be like, this is really confusing. What if we did X, Y, and Z? So it's like, okay, we'll create that as a variation or we'll spin something up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've gotten now back into, we just started this again, but we used to be kind of like, hey, here's a strategy session. We kind of went through, we'd come up with the first kind of five ideas on each of the pages. But now we're doing more roundtable things where we bring the entire design team together. We bring the, you know, all the developer teams and even management together and say, okay, here's the website. Here's the data. Here's what we're looking at. Everybody give their input. Like we just brain dump and see all of the different ideas because, you know, the younger female on the staff versus myself versus, you know, younger male might have a different perspective on what that website looks like um, from their expert opinion and something might be confusing for them and it's not confusing for others. So we're able to bring those ideas kind of to the table as we use it to support the data. Um, So that's been really fun to see some of the ideas being flushed out on that. We we've always done that in some capacity, but now we're, being more intentional with it from a bigger team perspective. Um, and they're kind of expensive calls <laughs> internally when we have them because we have like, it's almost like an all hands on deck um, type situation to go through, but they're, they're usually pretty short. Awesome. Uh, any, any parting insights in life or digital marketing you'd offer up? So I always tell people be patient embrace the process of optimization and communicate. And that's really the only three things I've ever seen go wrong in an optimization world. Um, Go slow to go fast, watch your data, but actually test. I mean, so many people just throw stuff up and be like, there it is. You know, we don't know if it helps or not, but it looks good. Let's, let's go with it. Um, And a lot of times it'll actually help more than it'll actually hurt. So it's important to test those things and turn over those small uh, rocks, but incremental small changes, never count them out. I get so frustrated all the time because people do me like, why didn't you just redesign it? Well, the me moving this element is probably more impactful than, than me redesigning the page and not understanding what actually helped. Um, well, so, that yeah, value just, prop thing. I mean, getting I still keep come back to that. Like that's a big thing that they already had it somewhere on mm-hmm. the site. The value prop is probably sprinkled all over the place, and you just had to get it yeah. in front of their people in the right way, the way they wanted to trigger it so that they'd buy. <laughs> it is, and it wasn't anything fancy. I mean, what the this is truly limited it. stuff is a cool value prop, right? But like yep. they probably had that along with eight other things they were talking about. Yeah. yeah. And what's, what's funny is so many people, I mean, it's the old saying, big doors swing on small hinges. And I have, I literally in our office, we got a big wall decal that says that. Um, but it, it is, it always comes down to that small little incremental thing versus spending two weeks or three weeks redesigning a landing page and coming up with all of these things and then testing it and then it not working because majority of the time it's not going to work. 
um, <laughs> then figuring out and be left wondering why it didn't work instead of being like, okay, they really care about social proof. You don't need a new landing page if they really care about a certain element or they respond well to a certain type or phrase mm -hmm. or benefit or something. You just need to move the, move the pieces around. And that's usually where optimization becomes most effective is creating that better experience, answering those questions and using that to kind of inform your future marketing decisions. It makes everybody smarter, your traffic yeah. teams, your customer support teams, everything. It, it's just, it's not about just, hey, I changed the button color and it raised or lowered my conversion rate. It's, it just makes everybody smarter when you're in a true optimization environment. Yeah, the, the learning and understanding, because I mean, otherwise you're just working also. It's mm -hmm. just a smarter way to approach things. So I like that. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, where can people find you and learn more and find out if this can work for them? Yeah. So conversionfanatics.com, number one place you can find all sorts of stuff over there. Um, and then I'm on social pretty much everywhere. So uh, one spot social.com slash Justin Christensen, all one word. You can find all my social channels. I'm pretty active on uploading a bunch of stuff to YouTube lately. So a lot of quick little snippets and some past videos on there that are still, still great stuff. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Scott.